Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. We believe that this message is going to bless your life, encourage you, and strengthen your walk with Jesus. Grab a notebook, a pen, and let's jump right in. All right, well, good morning. Welcome to Encounter Church. How many of you have come here today believing that God can do the impossible? How many of you have come believing that God can give you that breakthrough today? Amen, amen. Well, I challenge you right now. We're going to dive in to chapter 25 of the book of Acts today. And we're going to talk about a really interesting question. I've titled this morning's message, A Dead Man Named Jesus. Now, before we get into the message, let me take a moment and say, my name is Pastor Chris. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet, I am so excited that you are with us today. I know that you could be anywhere today, but you've chosen for one reason or another to be in the house of God, believing and expecting great things. Maybe somebody drug you along. I'm glad you're here. Look at your neighbor say, I'm glad you're here. Yeah, those that are watching online, we're happy that you're with us as well. We'd love to see you in person, but we understand that you're not able to be here this morning. Do me a favor, in the chat right front, right now, write down where you are calling from, where you're watching from. Maybe it's here in town, maybe outside of town, but let us know that this morning as well. All right, are you ready for the Word of God? Yeah, man. Take really good notes today, guys. And I challenge you, don't just... Write down the notes and leave them. But take them with you. Go back and, and reference them during the week. Make sure that what we're hearing and listening to on a Sunday morning lines up with the Word of God. That's why I give you the notes. I challenge you, go back and review what we've talked about and let God speak into your life. Let God challenge you. Because here's the deal. We don't want to just come in here and gain a bunch of head knowledge. Right? If all we do is gain head knowledge, then we just simply walk out the door smarter people. And there's nothing wrong with being smarter people. There's not, nothing wrong with head knowledge. But the Bible is supposed to be applied to our lives. So what we want to see happen is it doesn't just go here, but it sinks into your hearts. Because if we'll place it in our heart, if we'll place it inside of us and internalize it, then when we leave this place, when we go outside these doors, there's a good chance that we're going to put into action what we talked about on a Sunday morning. And how many of you know that's the purpose of us being here today? We've come here not for head knowledge. We've come here for a refreshing so that we can go out and impact and multiply in the world around us. So we're in a series right now that we're simply calling Multiply. Now in this series, we're learning um, how the early church responded to Jesus' mandate to go and make Disciples, In other words, to go and share the good news of Jesus with everyone, everywhere. But how many of you know, it's not enough just to share the good news. In order to raise up a disciple, you've got to bring somebody along with you. Come on. You guys got real quiet. You're like, oh, not me, Pastor. No, that's our calling. If you call yourself a Christian, if you profess to be a follower of Christ, that's your calling. We are to follow Christ. We are to do what he demonstrated. How many times in the word of God did Jesus do something and then he'd look at those around and say, now go and do likewise. 
In other words, go and do what you just saw me do. So as we dissect the word of God and we're realizing what he has called us to do, it's vitally important that we begin to multiply in every aspect of life, multiply our relationship with one another, get to know others in the room. And I'm going to challenge you this fall, if you have never been part of a life group, plug into a life group. Why? Because that's where you get to know one another. That's where you build the relationship. That's where you sharpen one another. That's where you grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? Because as iron sharpens iron, so one man or one woman sharpens another. We need that time together, impacting in our relationships together. We need to impact this church by, by sharing the good news and bringing people in. But we got to expand it to the world outside here. I'll tell you what, guys, we are consuming. I've given you statistics over the last few weeks. I believe Pettis County, 17,000 people have no relationship with Jesus Christ. Johnson County, 34,000 people, no relationship with Jesus Christ. Benton County, 10,400 plus have no relationship with Jesus Christ. I could go on and on with all the counties that we impact on a weekly basis, but suffice it to say, there are plenty of lost people in this world that we need to reach. So we're dissecting the book of Acts. We're discovering how did they respond to what Jesus laid in front of us. Now, last week, we, we took a look at how do we move from just being a fan to a follower. You see, there's a huge difference. I'm not going to take the time to, to reprocess through that this morning. But, but a fan is just an enthusiastic admirer. That's kind of how I was. We used to live closer to St. Louis, and the Cardinals would give pastors free tickets. So, man, you get free tickets, you're going to go to the game, right? So I would go to the game, and I'd bring my own peanuts, and I'd bring my own bottle of water. And I, you know, the only thing I bought was a $7 hot dog, so I really wasn't a big advance for them. But I was just a fan. I would just go in and watch the game, and I would cheer when, when they scored, when they, when they hit a home run, when something happened. I would cheer. But truth be told, I'm just a fan. I'm not really a follower. You could say that with the Royals or the Chiefs or anybody else. We're, a lot of us are just fans. But what about your relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you taken the time to define what does that look like? Now, today, I want to move on into chapter 5, where we see Paul, he is appearing before Pontius Festus. What a great name, right? Pontius Festus. Now, there's a two-year gap between chapter 24 and 25, and bear with me just for a moment while I give you a little background to set up this morning's message Felix had left Paul in prison. Felix was the governor prior to Pontius Felix, uh, Festus coming in. He had, but Felix had left Paul in prison for two years. Nothing really had happened. Could you imagine being placed in prison on really trumped up charges and you sit there for two years and nothing really is happening? Suddenly there's a shift in the leadership and Pontius Festus comes in 
And within just a few days, the Jewish leaders meet together with Festus, and they begin to bring up all of these accusations once again against Paul. About a week and a half or so later, they met together in Caesarea. Paul is presented in court. And here's what it says in Acts chapter 25, verse 7. When Paul arrived, the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem gathered around and made many serious accusations they couldn't prove. Come on. They made many serious accusations they couldn't prove. So what does Paul do? Paul instantly denies the charges that were presented against him. And, and with this, Festus, like Felix, was trying to please the Jewish people. So he asked Paul if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem to stand trial. But with this, Paul refused. Now, why did Paul refuse? Well, truth be told, the Jewish people didn't want Paul to go to Jerusalem for trial, they had planned an ambush. They had planned that while Paul was being moved to Jerusalem, they would ambush him, they would attack him, they would kill him, and nothing more would need to be done. Bada boom, bada bang, right? But Paul says, no, 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 no. I appeal to Caesar, the emperor. But here's the problem. The, the charges that the Jewish people brought up against Paul. Now remember, these are the ones. He's like, I don't even know. I don't know what's going on. They, they can't prove what's happening. There's no evidence to all of this. Festus wasn't really expecting these charges. So he begins to have a conversation with King Agrippa. This conversation states that, that, that he really wasn't understanding of why they brought Paul his direction. In fact, look what it says in verse 18 and 19. But the accusations made against him, made against Paul, weren't any of the crimes I expected. Come on, look at this. The accusations that were made, they, they weren't any of the crimes that I expected. Instead, it was something about their religion and a dead man named Jesus who Paul insists is alive. Look at your neighbor this morning and said, a dead man. Right in the chat this morning, a dead man. He says, I don't understand. They bring these charges. They don't make any sense to me. I can't wrap my head around it. It's something about the religion and a dead man named Jesus. And as I began to read this account, and I read it, and I reread it, and I reread it, this is what continuously jumped out to me a dead man named Jesus. I want to process this idea this morning. But let me ask you a question Is he just a dead man named Jesus? Or is there more to the story than Festus understood? Is he just a dead man named Jesus? Because truth be told, here's, here's the deal. I'm going to be completely transparent. If he's just a dead man named Jesus, we're wasting our time. Right? 
Because our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness and the fact that he didn't stay in the grave. You see, every other religion, every false religion out there, they may have somebody that they follow, but the leader that they follow is just a dead man in the grave. But Jesus. See, the Bible said that Jesus didn't stay in the grave, but on the third day, something began to shake. Something began to happen. Something began to transpire. The stone was rolled away. Jesus came out. He's alive and well for you and me today, preparing a place for us where we can spend eternity forever and ever and ever and ever. But for Festus, It was something about a religion and a dead man named Jesus. I want to look at three questions that we need to ponder today about Jesus. Number one is this. Is Jesus simply dead and irrelevant? Is Jesus simply dead and irrelevant as a church, as a leadership team, We've taken a lot of time to really look at who God has called us to reach. And did you know that there are so many people outside of these walls, and perhaps even here today or watching online today, that you're battling hurt that was caused from the church? There, there are those that have had a bad experience, maybe within a church building or maybe by somebody that professed to be a Christian. And unfortunately, that instance, that moment, that situation, it taints the perception of Jesus. They say things like this. Well, if that's how Jesus is, who needs him? Or after seeing a so-called Christian, they conclude that the whole thing is a fraud. The Christians are only hypocrites, nothing more, nothing less. That the church is irrelevant, that Jesus is not important. Listen carefully, church, I've said it before, but I've got to say it again. Never allow your life to be someone's excuse to run from God. We are called, you are called to stand above reproach, to be above the norm, to be above the average. You are the one that's to set the course of action. You are the one that's to represent Jesus, not a dead man in a grave, but a king that reigns forever, a savior that paved the way for you and for me. I'm here to tell you, Jesus is alive and well. There are other people who may not have had a bad experience with the church, but for one reason or another, they just don't see how God, how Jesus is relevant for life today. For them, Jesus is just a dead man that religious fanatics like to talk about. And I wonder... Is that how you treat Jesus? He's just somebody you want to talk about, but there's no real change? You see, as a believer, 
we have a role to play in helping the skeptic or the non-believer to understand the love that Jesus has for them. And what a great love that is. For God so loved the world. Look at that. God loves the world. And really, we say things like this. Well, proof is in the pudding, right? We know. We're, we're, I'm going to know if you're telling the truth by the actions that you make. I'm going to know whether you're telling the truth by what you do, what your follow through. God so loved the world that he didn't just say, hey, love ya. Good luck. Rooting for ya. He didn't do that, did he? But he sent Jesus to die on the cross. Even in the midst of the wrong that we do. Now, maybe you're here today and you've been very indifferent to God. I feel like God's speaking to somebody right now. There's somebody that's kind of tuning things out. And I want you to know, God sees you right where you are today. He understands the process that you're going through. He understands the situation that you're experiencing. And he wants you to know he loves you. And he loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross. But didn't leave him there. But he rose from the grave for you and for me. And by rising from the grave, he conquers death, hell, and the grave for us so that we can have right standing with the Father and one day live for eternity with him. That's the love that God has for you. But we've got to help them to understand that Jesus is not only alive, but he's relevant. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says this, if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always, look at your neighbor, say always. Always remain silent and say nothing. Is that what it says? Always avoid the topic and run to the other room. No, no. Always be ready to what? Explain it. Oh, pastor, I don't know that I've got all the answers. That's okay. You don't have to have all the answers. You've got your story. You've got your testimony. You've got what he's brought you out of, and we're going to talk about this a lot next Sunday. You're going to want to be here. Man, next Sunday morning is going to be incredible. We're going to look, about, look at how do we go about sharing our story with those around us. Next week is very practical. All right, let's move on. So always be ready to explain it. So therefore, the question that begs to be asked is this. What makes something relevant if there are those outside of these walls that say Jesus is not relevant for today, he's just a dead man that religious fanatics like to talk about, what makes something relevant? Well, I begin to process that, and I realize that something becomes relevant when it helps me meet a need. Something becomes relevant when it helps me meet a need. And then I look at my relationship with Jesus Come on. My God shall supply all your needs. 
according to his riches in glory. In those moments of doubt, in the moments of fear, in the moments of hopelessness, God supplies the need. In the moments of confusion when I don't know what to do, the Bible says all I need to do is ask and he'll give out of his abundance. If I need something, I call to God. Now don't get me wrong, he's not a magic genie in the bottle that pops out with a little funny tail on the backside and goes, three wishes. That's not how God works. But he's a loving God that says, I see your hurts. I see your confusion. I see your doubts. I see your hopelessness. And I love you. Let me step in. See, there's a God-shaped void in every one of our hearts that's longing for that connection with God. In order for something to become relevant, it's got to fulfill a need in my life. For something to become relevant, it's when I cannot live without it. Can I just tell you, without Jesus, the wages of sin, what I've earned, what I deserve is death. I can't live without him. I need Jesus more today than ever before something is relevant, if it helps me to improve. Those of you that have given your life to Christ, would you testify with me right now that your relationship with Christ has helped you to improve? Come on, some of you believe that. Some of you look like I just stole your kitty cat. Has your relationship with Jesus caused you to improve? As an individual, as a spouse, as a parent, as a worker, as a co-worker, as a boss, in relationships, the list goes on and on. My relationship with Jesus changes everything and helps me to become more of who he's called me to be. In fact, John 10.10 says this. Jesus is speaking. He says a thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy But my purpose, Jesus' purpose, is to give you, give them a rich and satisfying life. One translation says, to fill you to abundance. God wants to place inside of you so much of who he is. What does that mean? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you're lacking those, I want you to know that God wants to fill you with that today. God wants to consume you with more love. Because I'm just telling you what the world needs now is Jesus. I was just praying with somebody here in the altar a moment ago. They said, can we pray for this world? It's in a mess. And I just began to pray, God, would you just, would you just help the world to see its need for you? Would you help the leaders to see their need for you? But truth be told, church, that journey to this world accepting Christ begins with you. I'm saddened to say there's some cults outside these doors, some false religions outside these doors that are so much better at sharing their false doctrine than we are. They're so much better. If we have the truth and we know the truth, 
Should we not want to share that with everyone everywhere? Boy, you got quiet. See, if the church cannot demonstrate how someone who died over 2,000 years ago can make a profound difference on a person's life, then what we're doing is merely painting a picture of a dead man named Jesus. That what we do on a Sunday is just a memorial service or a celebration of life. I understand that there will be a handful that will reject Jesus. Matthew chapter 7 says this, you can enter the kingdom, God's kingdom, only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. Its gates are wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult. And only a few ever find it. Church, we've got to help them to find the road. Jesus is the answer. There's a song back in the 80s, some of you remember it. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Church, we've got to help them find Jesus. Paul responded to this whole conversation in verse 8. He says this, Why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? He says, why is this a big surprise to you? Why is this mind-blowing? Why can't you wrap yourself around this? If he's God, he's God. If there's nothing too difficult for him, then there's nothing too difficult for him. If God can do this, he can do that. If God can heal the sick, he can raise the dead. See, according to Festus, there was just a dead man named Jesus. That brings us to our second question. Have you allowed the risen Jesus to change your life? Come on, it's one thing for us to sit here today and go, yeah, I believe that Jesus is alive. I believe that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father preparing a way for us right now. I believe that he hears our cries. I believe that he made a way. I believe. Got the head knowledge. Got the understanding here. But you're missing it by about 12 inches. There's a disconnect from the hearts. Have you allowed the risen Jesus to change your life? Now, Paul. He had an unquestionable, life-changing encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. We've talked about it a couple times in this story because, really, truth be told, it's Paul's testimony. So he shared it a few times. Prior to Jesus, Paul viewed Jesus as a dead man. That Christ was simply a dead man named Jesus. However, when Jesus began to talk To him on the road to Damascus, Paul was blinded by a powerful light in the presence of God, and and Paul's life was dramatically changed. At that point, he stopped persecuting the followers of Christ. He became not just a fan, but a true follower. See, Jesus became so relevant to Paul that every decision that he made, 
from that point forward, involved hearing from the Lord and doing what God wanted. Paul devoted the rest of his life to sharing the good news. He said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. He grabbed a hold of that purpose. Look at this conversation that he had with Jesus. Verse 15 through 16 and then verse 19. Paul says, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one that you're persecuting. And then Jesus begins to give Paul some instruction. Look at this. He says, now get up, get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servants and witness. Tell people that you have seen me and tell them what I will show you in the future. Verse 19. And so King Agrippa, I obeyed the vision from heaven. Now, for many of you here today, for many that are watching online today, Jesus, yes, is more than a dead man. He's the one that has changed your life. He's the one that has set you free from your past. He's the one that's made you brand new. Your guilt is gone. You have a reason to face tomorrow. Yet, for others, he's, maybe he's not a dead man named Jesus, Maybe you believe that he's alive and well, but you haven't allowed him to change your life. You haven't allowed him to bring you to that new place. You're facing the same struggle, the same sorrow, the same guilt, the same hang-up, the same relational issues that you faced for years. Can I just tell you this morning that Jesus has already conquered everything for you? Did you know that? John 16, 33, in this world you'll have problems, but here's hope. I've overcome the world. Before that situation ever came your direction, Jesus said, I got you. Before you ever got that phone call with that devastating news, Jesus said, I got you. Allow me to step in to change your life. Allow me to place you on a new pathway. Allow me to give you a new hope for tomorrow. Allow me to fill you to fulfill my purpose to give you a full and abundant life. He wants to begin that new work in each one of you today. Oh, Pastor, you don't, you, <laughs> you don't know me. You may be right. Oh, I may know the Sunday morning you. You know the Sunday morning you. Oh, good morning, praise God, hallelujah. That, that's a Sunday morning you. But on the inside, you're, you're broken. You're seconds away from tears. You've walked in the door this morning, and you're beelining it to a seat because you think, if I talk to anybody, I'm going to bust into tears this morning. Jesus sees you. Jesus sees you. 
and I think that if he was standing physically right here beside me this morning, he'd look you eyeball to eyeball and say, not only do I see you, I love you. I love you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, hmm, this is good, the veil is taken away. I thought it was good. I got excited. Whenever someone turns to the Lord, in other words, whenever somebody says, Lord, (laughs) I can't do this. I'm tapped out. I'm throwing in the towel. God, I can't do this. And they give their life to Christ. The Bible says, whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is spirit, and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. Come on, shout it this morning. Say, there's freedom. There's freedom. Some of you have been walked around enslaved and trapped for too long. And God says, let me remove the veil. Let me give you freedom today. He goes on in verse 18. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is spirit, makes us more and more and more and more like him as we change into his glorious image. That veil that once blinded us, that veil that once enslaved us and trapped us, that veil that once kept us from understanding, it's now been removed because of the love of God. And then in, verse, in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning verse 3, it says this, what a God we have. Because Jesus was raised from the dead. Come on, he's not a dead man. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we have been given a brand new life and have everything to live. We have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. The future starts now. But look at this. God is keeping careful watch over us and the future. So as he gives you this incredible life, he says, right now, in this moment, Chad, I'm going to give you what you need. But not only am I going to give you what you need, I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to journey with you every step of the way. What a God we have. Question number three, what are you going to do with this news? Well, Pastor, I was just going to go to lunch. (laughs) That's what some of you are thinking. Well, you know, somebody in this room may do something with it, but I don't know, not not me. So that became some sort of redneck trucker. I don't know what just happened there. I feel like I need to spit or something, but I won't. What are you going to do with this news? 
I would challenge you, don't allow a momentary recognition of life to bring you and leave you at a place of missing the fullness of a life with Jesus, the life that he's made available for you. Don't allow your connection with Jesus to simply be a, a moment in time or a date on the calendar that you vaguely remember. See, I grew up in the church. For me, church is all that I ever knew. Mom was the children's pastor. So we were there early, and oftentimes I was responsible for getting all the lights on in the church basement, because that's where kids' church was. I was the one that was responsible oftentimes for setting the thermostats in the, in the lower portion of the building. That was kind of my responsibility, kind of what I did growing up, even as a kid. But for me, I don't remember the exact date I gave my life to Christ. I think I was like four. I mean, God delivered me from a lot Somebody got that. Somebody this afternoon is going, oh, I get it. Yeah, so, so I don't remember the date. It would be easy for me to go, you know what, it wasn't really a life change. I don't remember what happened. But then I look at my life and I realize what he's kept me from. Come on. The journey that he's placed me on. The opportunity that he's given me to share the good news to share hope, to challenge hearts and lives. Maybe for you, man, maybe for you, he's delivered you out of a mess. I want you to know that God has got so much in store for you. Second Corinthians chapter five says this, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Come on, you cannot use this excuse. Everybody listen to me carefully. You cannot use this excuse. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm just that way because that's how I've always been. No, that's how you were before you met Jesus. Right? Come on. Look at your neighbor and say, you can't be a jerk anymore. There's this idea of, well, that's just how we are. That's wrong. That's just how my family is. You've changed families. You're part of the family of God now. Step into that new family lineage. Step into that new DNA that he's placed inside your life. You become a new person. The old life is gone. Come on. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task, the responsibility, the mandate, the mission to reconcile people for him. He's given us that mandate. And you guys look like a bunch of conservative Christians today, y'all sitting back, well, I don't want to get too excited in church. Just think of where he's brought you from. Come on, think back just a few years. 
Some of you have been saved too long. What, by, what I mean by that is you've forgotten. You've got temporary amnesia. You forgot who you were. You've got a journey. You've got a future. You've got a responsibility. You've got a calling. We go into verse 20. He says this. We're Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. He's making that appeal through you. When we speak for Christ, when we plead, come back to God. Our mission is to multiply the kingdom of God, to create a double kingdom impact. Come on. Amen. So I got to encourage myself every once in a while. We've got to look for the opportunity, church. Why? Because God loves us first. You've got a story to tell. You've got to help a broken world understand the relevancy of Jesus. But what happens if you don't accept the mission? I'm not going to give you all the grave consequence, but suffice it to say this. To refuse the mission of God, the mission that he's placed upon your life, is completely inconsistent with who we claim to be. And in a church of Assemblies of God, Pentecostal people, I got one, yep. To, to, to sit back and go, you know what? I don't want to multiply. I don't want to impact the world. I don't want to change hearts. I don't want to share. What will they say? I'm scared. To reject the mission is completely, utterly, completely in opposition and inconsistent with who we claim to be. If I'm a follower of Jesus, that means that I follow Christ and I do what he wants me to do. And just a few verses ago, we just read it. He's making his appeal through us. I remind you what it says in chapter 20. I read it to you week 19 of the series. Paul says, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Let me ask you one more time. What are you doing with this message that Jesus is alive and well. What are you doing with it? Just kind of stick it in your pocket, save it for later. 
hide it in your seat that you sit in every week and come back and pick it up next Sunday? Or do we realize that there are 17,000 people in this community alone, this county alone, if they were to die outside these doors, they'd split hell right off. 34,000 in Johnson County where our Warrensburg campus is. If they were to die today in this moment, even while we're talking, they'd split hell wide open. Over 10,000 in Benton County where we're headed next year. If they were to die today, they'd split hell wide open. Church, we got some work to do. Good news is this. We have the opportunity to share the best news ever. It's not like we're going on the street corner today and, and sharing doom and gloom. The world's going to explode. Take cover. No, we're not doing that. I'm saying Jesus loves you. He sees your mistakes. He sees your hurts. He sees your brokenness. He's made a way for you. Would you bow your heads with me today? Thank you again for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. We pray that this message was a blessing and an encouragement to your life.